Hello and welcome to another exciting and, you guessed it, jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. The show hosted by me, comedian, person, human, Danny Lobel, in which I talk to different comedians about different philosophers, and we try to find connections between the two, and we bounce off the philosophy of the philosophers from the comedians, and the comedians to the philosophers, and oh, it's a fantastic journey, you know if you've been listening, but if you're new, and you might be new, who knows, you could be new, maybe you're just new in general, you're a new person to the world, or you're just new to the podcast, you get it, it's a show, you know what it is, you download it, why am I explaining it? Welcome to Modern Day Philosophers, everybody, I'm your host, Danny Lobel, and today is a fantastic episode with a great comedian, Erica Rhodes, who I'm privileged to have worked with a bunch of times, and we had a great conversation that I hope you will very much enjoy. A quick word of announcement that I am very excited and pleased to tell you is that my comic book that I've been talking and raving about and getting you hyped and psyched about, hopefully for a long time now, is set to launch March 1st. That's right. It's called Fair Enough Comic, and the website is fairenoughcomic.com. If you go there now, there's not much. It's just the picture park there. But by February 10th, the website will be up and running, and you can pre-order the comic book. And March 1st, you can get the comic book. And I'm so excited for you to get the comic book. It's true stories from my life as a comedian. It's the real life of stand-up comedian Danny Lobel. And the first episode, I'm calling them episodes like it's a show. The first episode is a little backstory on me, so you get the idea of where I'm coming from and hopefully where we're going to go with it. So please, at least by February 10th, go and check out fairenoughcomic.com, and March 1st, uh, if you haven't already pre-ordered a copy, order a copy of the comic book. I'm so excited for you to see it. My album is on stand-up records, and it's doing well. It's Danny Lobel, the nicest boy in Barcelona. And uh, you can go and get that album and many more albums at StandUpRecords.com. But here, why, why take it from me? Take it from them, will you? Here's a word from our sponsor. Warning. Last year, over 40,000 Americans died in car-related accidents. Not a pleasant thought, is it? In fact, as thoughts go, it's downright depressing. Well, that's where we can help cheer you up. We're StandUpRecords.com, and we offer the finest in CDs, DVDs, downloads, and merchandise from the best comedians on Earth. Artists like Mark Marin, Maria Bamford, Eddie Pepitone, and Doug Stanhope. Available at fine record stores, Amazon.com, and the iTunes Music Store. That's StandUpRecords.com. Come on, listen to us while you're driving. Live dangerously. StandUpRecords.com, the brand you know, the brand you love. Stand Up Records. All right. Why keep you waiting? I think you want a show, and I got a show for you. You want a show, I got a show. You got a show, I want to... Here it is, okay. And now, without further ado, except, of course, for the intro song, my talk with the one and only, as far as I know, comedian, Erica Rhodes. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel! Modern Day Philosophers. All right, we have, I have, you have, if you're listening to this, you have Erica on the show today. Uh, Erica Rhodes, how you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. 
And we've done a bunch of shows together, and you yes. did my other podcast. Yeah, and I did your live show, which was really fun, too. Yeah. You have good show ideas. Thank you. I'm yeah. a good show idea guy. Yeah, you are. You're you're smart, <laughs> funny. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I feel the same way about you. It's oh, uh, that's sweet. I I, uh, I love what you do on stage, and Aww. you've got such a great, bright personality. And that's I was nice. excited to have you on the show. Uh, what do you think of it so far? So far, so good. <laughs> I mean, I think we're nailing it, right? I yeah. mean. Already complimenting each other. Yes. You gave me coffee. I mean, I can't ask for much more than that. Yeah. Well, we've had good experiences, uh, I I think, in all of our interactions. I got to do your show. Yeah, I was going to say, you did my show, too, and yeah. you were great on it. And you were on what? Were you on the first or second one? You were on one of the very early ones. And I, it was, like, pretty packed, right? It was, like, a good... I yeah. think it was a good one to be on. It was. It was... You had uh, a show creator from Modern Family. Oh, yeah. Danny Zucker. Yeah, yeah, he was great. Yeah, yeah, that was a good show to be on. Yeah, it was a Danny heavy show. I like. Yeah, a good Danny. All the Dannys. <laughs> you like Danny, right? Over like Daniel or Dan. It's, it's a very controversial question these yeah. days because, um, well, I am a, originally a Daniel. Uh huh. And uh, I changed my name because there was a famous racehorse named Daniel Lobel. Oh, and, and when I got into comedy, like he took all the the first few pages of Google results. <laughs> You're competing with a horse. Yeah. Oh no! And I couldn't beat the horse, and I had such low self esteem that I was completely defeatist from the moment I saw the horse. I'm like, there's no way. Yeah, I'll, you don't want to compete with a horse. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching BoJack Horseman, and <laughs> that's like a brilliant show. And yeah, I wouldn't want to compete with a real horse or a cartoon horse. I know. So, so, so you changed it to just Danny? To ch I changed it to Danny, and then I've been rolling with Danny for a long time. And then I did the Edinburgh Festival in August, oh. and I got an agent, which is really cool. Hey, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, and so she met with me, and she goes, she's in English, so I'll do my, my oh, yes, please. sort of impression of her. She's like, how married are you to the name Danny? She's like. Because I see you more as like a Daniel. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I am like, technically I, a Daniel. And Daniel. Yeah. And I feel like I was robbed of my Daniel from this horse. <laughs> Did you tell her that? Yeah. She looked at me for a second like, maybe I'm about to sign a madman. Like, I <laughs> 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 Do you, you should talk about that on stage because that's really funny. Like most people change their name because they're competing with a person, but you yeah. were competing with a horse. And the horse was so successful. He <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just any horse. You were like, if it was like a less uh, a, a horse that lost once in a while. I had this ambition at one point because he went up for sale, Daniel Lobel the horse, for oh. $50,000. He was things, if everything else went right, you know. That's true. What was your childhood like? You grew up um, in Minnesota? No, Boston. A lot of people think Minnesota, but. My mom's from Minnesota, but I grew up in Boston. Oh, and it's also, yeah. I think, a you sound accent. a little more Minnesota. Yeah. Than... I think I picked it up from my mom. Mm -hmm. And yeah. why did I think that? Do you do you mention Minnesota ever? No, no. Oh. Everybody thinks it. Also, because I did Prairie Home Companion, that was set in Minnesota. Yes, that's probably the connection. And I have a lot of I mean. family, and I just seem like I'd be from Minnesota. Like, I don't think I seem like a Boston girl. Really. No. You don't? Not really. But I'm from a suburb outside of it. Oh, which one? Yeah. Newton. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. I hear about A lot of, of comics are from Newton, actually. Anyone I know? Louis C.K., 
uh, BJ Novak, Matt LeBlanc. Um, I think Conan is from Brookline, which is like where I was born. And a bunch of other people. John Krasinski from The Office. He's not a comic, but he's an actor. I know, yeah. Yeah, a lot of like funny people. Brookline, I've heard of because that's a very Jewish neighborhood. Newton is almost more Jewish, I think. Really? Newton and Brookline are both very Jewish, but Newton Uh is very Jewish. Oh, I never, I always hear Jewish people coming from Brookline. And I'm like, you just live there because it sounds like Brooklyn, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I moved from one Jewish town to another Jewish town. (laughs) But you guys aren't Jewish. I'm half Jewish. Are you really? My dad's Jewish. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, so okay. the wrong side. The wrong side. The wrong side, yeah. <laughs> but still a little. My yeah. my dad's dad uh, changed his last name from Rosenblum to oh. Rhodes because oh. he was a, a pot and pan salesman and he wasn't doing a good job with, you know, they, they were anti-Semitic back then oh. when he was trying to sell pots and pans door to door. So he changed his name from Rosenblum to Rhodes and... Nobody changed it back. <laughs> it's a shame that we don't have like pot and pan door to door salesmen anymore. That's- I know. Be weird if somebody knocked on your door trying to sell you a pot. You'd be like, why do you have a pot at my house? Get it it sounds so romantic though. Like it's, it's like out of a movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea of it too. I, I did some door to door sales for a little bit. Really? Yeah. What were you selling? Light bulbs. Really? <laughs> you sound very excited by that. I mean, it's just, I can't imagine it. What do you say? You knock on a stranger's door and you're like, is it a little dim inside? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having well, trouble seeing? I, yeah. That, that, <laughs> that was looks, like some of my- It looks awfully dark in there. <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I had material about it. Well, I, um, I, I never got to do residential door-to-door. I did mm. commercial door-to-door. Oh, that's so better. Okay. I'd go into businesses, but I was like- I, some of my jokes were, uh, you know, I just was praying for like a dark business. <laughs> Everybody already has light bulbs. That's the hard thing about selling. I them. know. So, um, your dad's dad was a pot and pan salesman. What did your dad do? He well, he started out as a clarinetist. My parents met in music school because no my mom's a violinist. You know, the clarinet is my favorite instrument. Really? Yeah. Usually people say cello, which is what I play. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love the clarinet. My dad always says, uh, clarinet's the best instrument. And I'm, my mom will be like, no. <laughs> I'm with your dad. Yeah. I have all, all my records are different uh, famous like clarinet players. Really? Yeah, I love oh, that's it. that's so cool. I want to learn the clarinet so badly. Oh, my gosh. You should then. You yeah. should take a class. Lesson. It's on my list. It's on my list of things. Yeah, he was really good. He went. Um, they both were at New England School, uh, New England Conservatory Music. Is that how they met? Yeah, that's how they met. And uh, my mom's a violinist now. And then my dad got MS, you know, multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. So he, one of his uh, pinkies, kind of stopped hitting the right keys when he was playing clarinet. So he realized he had to change professions. And I think you know, clarinet was a hard profession anyway. So it's sort of lucky that he did change professions and he yeah. became a CPA and he worked oh. for Ernst and Young and worked his way all the way up to a com- in the company and did really well there. And how, so, how did his, did, was he able to keep his MS at bay, so to speak? No, no, he very yeah. much has MS. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how it works with MS. Well, there are just, different kinds. There's like chronic progressive, which is a kind you don't want, which is what he has. Oh. And then there's remitting something or other where it's like you, you get certain 
you, like it, you, you can take medicine for it and there are things you can do, whereas his MS is, a, is less easily treatable. So is that the kind that Richard Pryor had? Probably, yeah. 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 So is he in a wheelchair? And, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, that must oh, be rough. That's okay. Yeah, but you've had years of, it, of leading up to it, right? Yeah, and, yeah. He told me he's like, every seven years something <laughs> went wrong. <laughs> like uh, first he was in crutches and wheelchair. But he has a really good attitude. I mean, I don't know anyone else who has a better attitude than he does about it. Wow, that's... Yeah, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's inspiring too. Like, Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, and my mom takes care of him like full time she's like they have a nurse who helps but like my mom has committed to not put you know like having him in any sort of home or anything because she doesn't think the care is as good so she's just determined to keep him at home and she takes good care of him yeah it sounds like they're very in love yeah they have a very sweet relationship yeah it's it's like a romantic comedy they they met in a classy music school yeah classical music school and my mom kind of stole him away from her roommate oh he was he was like almost engaged to her roommate and my mom was madly in love and he would fight with her roommate all the time and like my mom just kind of waited it out and was just pining after him and said she was just madly in love with him and he barely noticed her (laughs) which is why she was so into him yeah yeah that makes sense (laughs) yeah so yeah it's this cute story yeah and and then there's you and one sister yep my sister hillary who lives in oklahoma has two kids is a teacher. Older sister? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What does she teach? Um, she teaches at OSU and she teaches like writing, English, and like new media. Oh, new media. Yeah. That's better than yeah. old media. Yeah. Nobody wants to learn it's old more media. more useful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> old, old media, I guess, is writing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so she teaches new and she old teaches, media. She teaches, yeah, blogging and things like that. <laughs> the kids can use. Yeah. Actually make money. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Are you close? Yeah, we're pretty close. I mean, she has two kids, so she's like totally, you know, busy all the time. But mm-hmm. but we've always been pretty close. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I have three younger brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, you're the oldest and you do comedy? I know. That doesn't seem typical. It's like, I oh, no, not No, typical. I feel like, well, I've read studies. It's like usually the youngest one or the middle one if, if there's like – if there are four kids, it would be – or three kids would be the middle one. I don't know about four kids. Four kids, I think, would be the youngest usually. Huh. Who's the entertainer? What because do they, they do? Because they're pining for attention. Yeah. What do they do? Um, my – well, one of my brothers is a raw vegan chef. Oh, wow. He lives here. Uh, not in this house, but in this neighborhood. Oh, that's so cool. Does he cook for you? Yeah. When I, well, if I'm lucky, it's hard to get him to do it because he's like, he's gotten very popular now. So, oh, wow. That's, you know. yeah. I mean, that's a, it's probably like thriving right now. Everyone's vegan. So, yeah. yeah. It's a good niche. Yeah. And um, so he's like getting to cook for celebrities now. And like he that's runs so cool. a whole like raw food section where he's like the mad creator of things that people make now. And it's super cool. Wow. You know, Erewhon? Yeah, I love Erewhon. So my brother runs their raw department. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. Thank you. I'm very proud the of The food's, yeah. yeah, the food's really good there. And then my other brother is studying to be a chiropractor. And my oh. youngest brother does something in finance. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I feel like anyone in finance, like no, like artists are just like, oh, numbers. We yeah. don't get it. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just like. Wow, that's like what a what a broad variety of professions. I know. Yeah. Like they're all so different. 
I, th- I think like it went half, it split down the middle. Like me and my, the two older brothers, we went for like crazy creative things. Right. And the two younger brothers went for like stable, and practical And that's like, things. I swear that's like the opposite of normal, what's normal. I really think yeah. the younger ones are usually the artists. We're an abnormal family. Weird. <laughs> my mom has three siblings also, and she's the oldest of four. And they all play violin because their grandfather taught them. But And then three of them are professional violinists. And the fourth one also still plays, but he's also a lawyer. Two of them are lawyers and violinists. And, and you play <laughs> the cello, you said, right? Yeah. Do you also play the violin? No. Okay. No. When I was a kid, um, I used to go for violin lessons. Oh. And... Um, I thought that I was gonna be, I was gonna go pro. I remember, really? like, I was like thinking, I'm, I love doing this. I'm amazing at it. I'm gonna, and I was a little kid, and I remember thinking, I'm like, I'm gonna be like Yitzhak Perlman. I'm gonna yeah. be like amazing. And, and then we moved from Queens to Long Island, and my violin lessons continued for I think maybe two months, and then they stopped. And for years, I really was so upset that my parents stopped my violin lessons. And I thought it was because we moved and they were just like, we're, we don't want to be hassled taking you to Queens anymore. Mm. And so I brought it up like a few years ago and I was like, you know, I could have been, I could have been Yitzhak Perlman by now if you yeah. would have kept. And they're like, well, we wanted to continue, but your teacher quit on you. I'm like, what? I thought you pulled me out. They're like, no, he refused to keep teaching you. What? <laughs> Why? He, he said. Th- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, That's so sad. I'm like, Mr. Moon? That's his name. He's a Korean guy named Mr. Moon. And uh, I'm like, Mr. Moon, I thought Mr. Moon loved me. They're like, no, Mr. Moon hated you. He said you were the most difficult student he had. You were stubborn. And uh, he said you were unteachable. Nothing could get through to you. Oh, my God. And here you thought you were so good at it. That is the saddest story ever. That is so sad, Mr. Moon. <laughs> like Mr. Moon was a very strict Asian man, and he, he said it like it was, and he said, your son has no musical abilities, <laughs> and he's not going to ever get anywhere with this. You're wasting your money and my time. And, oh and he my said, God. don't bring him anymore. Why did they just find a new teacher? I guess they believed. Really liked they must it. have believed Mr. Moon. Like That's this is so sad. It's like this because my sister is the opposite story. Like my sister is really good at violin, but you know she kind of rebelled because my mom was a violinist. Mm-hmm. So she had a recital when she was like eight or something, and she she played beautifully. And my mom said, "Oh, Hillary, that was so beautiful. You are so talented." And she goes, "Thank you, mommy. Can I quit now?" Uh. And then she never played again. Uh, I feel like parents shouldn't, like, my parents were very much about, like, it's up to you, whatever you want to do. I feel like maybe wait until they're, like, 16 to make, like, life choices. Yeah. You know? Kids don't know. Kids don't know. Like, you think you know, but you don't really want to do anything as a kid. You're just like, meh. Yeah. But then later, when you get good at it, it's more fun. There's no winning in that situation as a parent, probably, because you're like, you you keep them in violin. They're like, my parents tortured me. They used to force me to. That's true. But then also, yeah, then they can also be like, why didn't you, why did you let me quit? Yeah. One time my mom said, I remember I I played piano also, so I played cello and piano. 
when I was really little and I hated piano for whatever reason. I just hated it. And I told my mom I didn't want to go to my lesson. And she said, you know, your father used to take piano when he was a kid. And now he really regrets that he quit and gave it up. And he's he's never forgotten that. And I and I said I was like five or six, and I said, I know. How about Daddy has my lessons? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little negotiator. Yeah, very. Good. I know what we can do. <laughs> nice try. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a whole musical family. That's pretty. Yeah, cool. very musical. Yeah. You get sort of like a warped perspective of the world. You know. How so? Uh, just like having parents that are very artistic is sort of the opposite of most parents. Like mm-hmm. most parents are like practical people. You know, they teach you practical life things. Yeah. And my parents were very much the opposite, where it was like, do what you love, find your passion. And whenever I was like, but how? They're like, we don't know. <laughs> no <laughs> clue. But just do it. Find your joy. Yeah. Which is great in some ways, but also they didn't really teach me life skills, you know. Like what? Like balancing a checkbook budgeting, money stuff, anything money related, they like just didn't even talk about, yeah. you know, there's like not like they just pretended money didn't exist. It's so funny. That's, that's <laughs> so my dad's parents were both artists. Uh-huh. My grandfather, actually that painting right there is oh one of gosh, his. Oh my gosh, that's really great. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and, and his mom was also, um, they met in art school and, hmm. and he had the same complaint that he said they never told him about money. They never told him about anything. They just said, go do what you want. Yeah. So he went into the arts and became a photographer. Oh. And then he struggled for money for his whole life. Yeah. And he used to yell at us all, never go into the arts, never go into the arts. <laughs> and he would always be like, my parents never told me about money. So then he would overly aggressively talk about money to us all the time to the point that like, I didn't even want to hear about money, and, oh. and I rebelled against money. Like I Oh, just, no. So it's like the opposite <laughs> problem. It's like, it didn't work. Uh, like, it just shows, like, parents in general can't win. You can't no win. No matter what you do. But he took it too extreme. Like, he was so angry that his parents never brought up money to him. So he, and they, that he's like, they should have told me not to go into the arts. They should have told me about money. They should have yeah. told me about how expensive life is. So he decided, I'm not going to make that mistake. And he just rammed it down our throats. Everything, he'd go, money is blood. <laughs> blood is money. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to be an artist. And he's like, no. no. What have I done? <laughs> I tried to do the opposite. Yeah. Well, it seems like it worked on your youngest brother. It worked on him. <laughs> because by then he was less aggressive with it, I think. He, like, I he burned see. out on, on me and my Oh, jeez. Yeah. He's like, how did I raise a comic and a chef? Yeah. What did I do? Too much with the money stuff. Just My mom, the funniest thing is my mom is so, she'll say one of her proudest parenting things was when she gave, because my dad didn't like that we needed clothes all the time. We're, you know, we, I mean, we went to these, this like kind of snobby high school not a private school but just like they're very rich you know most Mm -hmm. of the people in my neighborhood and everything and um so they all had like trendy clothes and we all you know my sister and I always wanted whatever was cool and my dad was always like we you just want 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 need 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 you know like he would he would do the whole dad thing the Jewish dad thing where it's like you don't need any more you don't need clothes you don't need blue and my mom was like well let's give I know what we'll do we'll give them a budget and so she came up with this brilliant plan to give me and my sister each $300 a month just for clothes. Wow. I mean, 
I've, I still can't afford $300 a month for clothes. <laughs> That's incredible. And my mom thinks that was such a great lesson. <laughs> We'd come home with like 10 pairs of shoes. You know, it's like, it's like I never needed anything. Like, it's like. I mean, that's a lot of money for a high school kid yeah. to just have. I've never heard clothes. of anything like that. No, and yeah. she thinks that taught us budgeting. It didn't teach me anything about budgeting. It taught me like, oh, I can buy like $300 pair of jeans and then next month I'll get more money. <laughs> budgeting on a very high budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Budgeting on like, unli- it was like, to me, it felt unlimited, especially at that time, you know, like, you know, five years ago, <laughs> you know, back then it was like, you could get way more for $300 than you can now, you know? So sure, it's like, I mean, it was yeah. pretty, that was pretty generous budgeting. <laughs> so and funny did that not this, teach this was her anything. reaction to not spoiling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She thought, she thought she wasn't when she was totally spoiling us. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, and also other thing, uh, this is another funny parenting thing. Like I remember like all the parents, other parents were like doctors, architects, like scientists, you know, like they're really, really like uh, very uh, successful parents. And so they were really good at doing, you know, helping them with their school projects. And one of our projects was make, building a bridge. Mm-hmm. We had to build a bridge with like styrofoam or like uh, popsicle sticks. And my mom tried helping me with it and could not figure it out. And we spent like hours trying to make a bridge and it was always collapsing or like the glue wouldn't stick or whatever. Yeah. We weren't doing it right. So she just gave up and she she put all the ing- she put all the pieces into a plastic bag uh-huh. and wrote me a note. Please excuse Erica from this project. We tried our best. We could not build a bridge. And I go in, I do go into class and everyone has these elaborate, amazing bridges <laughs> that their parents obviously made for them. And I'm like, I have a note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were artists, you know. Was it your ambition back then to be an artist as well? Yeah, it's just that like I I didn't know what it was going to be yet. You know, like when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a dancer. So I, you know, I was really serious about ballet. You look like a ballet girl. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I was really serious. Like I, I was like, I had dreams to be like, you know, huge in ballet. And then I think I turned 16 and I realized like I wasn't going to be the best one. Mm-hmm. And that like was torture to me thinking I'm not going to be the best. Like I wasn't the best in the class and I couldn't get my leg. Like I wasn't that flexible. I couldn't get my leg up to my ear like Sophie could. Like I still remember so- like the of girl that could. Sophie could. Yeah, Sophie. <laughs> Sophie could get her leg up to her ear. Sounds like a Sophie thing. <laughs> right? Going back to I names. I was so jealous yeah. of Sophie. And so, so I just realized it and then I just quit cold turkey, mm-hmm. which is something I do regret because like I really loved dancing. I kept following what I was good at, which was not things that were very regimented. Like I'm definitely better at like the more creative, the better for me. So like mm-hmm. with classical music, you really have to be good at reading music. And I wasn't good at reading music, which is very cerebral you know, like it's like mathematical to read music. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a really good ear so I could play anything by ear, but I would sit in the back of the orchestra sort of air playing my cello until I figured out how to play it by ear. And that's not fun. You feel right. like you don't know what you're doing. You're the you dummy know? in the orchestra. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. and then they, the conductor would be like, okay, just cellos now. And I'd be like, oh no, they're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, I've got to find out I can't play. Right. And I loved music and I loved cello and I loved the feeling of playing cello. And I, but I but I was like, I don't I don't want to play an orchestra my whole life. You what know? is the feeling of playing cello? 
Well, it's it's like very you feel it's similar to ballet where it's like very physical, you know, because you're using both arms and mm-hmm. you know it's like I don't know, can't it can't quite explain it, but yeah. It's- they both you played violin. Like, yeah. You kind of know. Well, I don't know if we can say that I played violin. <laughs> Talk to Mr. Moon. I love your story. Oh, my God. So sad. <laughs> and I still get birthday cards from Mr. Moon's music school. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yeah, they send them to my parents' house every That's year. It's so like obnoxious. I'm in a system. I was like just to remind you, six years old when they, I left the music school. But it's like a Korean. It's You're cool because like, they're like these Korean the letters. And, yeah. Oh, my God. Mr. Moon's birthday, man, he's on top of those birthdays, though, huh? He's just, just keep, keeps me there to remind so me. what a crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we have to send it to all the people. You we should write to him and be like, um, you know, you did destroy my dream. Yeah. <laughs> I could have been a classy artist. I yeah. didn't have to be stuck in this. Stuck in the trenches. <laughs> We're in the trenches. But yeah. yeah, and then I went to acting school and I really studied acting, which I loved. And I felt like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. But then acting didn't really work out but either. You're a tremendous actress. I've seen a lot of oh, things that you've done. Thanks. And one of my favorites that I would recommend people check out is a little sketch that you did um, that I'll let you talk about, if you will, but oh. about um, going in and they say, can you do this? Are you oh, willing to yeah. do that? Are you, know you willing what's to so do that? so funny. It's, it's like I made that in, I swear I made the entire thing in less than five hours. I wrote it in like an hour. Then the next day I asked my friend, will you just shoot this thing for me and play the director guy? And it's just one shot thing. And he's like, sure. And then we shot it in like three hours, three or four hours. And I was like, I, I, and I've gotten so many compliments on it. And I'm like, it's amazing how like simple when something's right, like how easy it is when you're just like, oh, this is like a good idea. Right. You know, and it was so simple, but a lot of people have complimented me on it. So it's kind of nice, you know, to make something like that, that where people watch it and you're like, oh, you actually, when I saw Graham K the other day, he watched, I did like a little sequel to it called The Pitch, which is like another sketch based on that sketch. Um, like about pitching a project to a to um, a producer who's not paying attention. Yes, I saw that. Too. Oh, did you see that? Okay, yeah. so Graham K told me he saw it, and I was so shocked. I was like, "You watched it? You watched something?" Like, because I had posted it, but then I was so shocked that someone actually watched it. I'm always surprised <laughs> when people come up to me and they, yeah. li- I listen to your podcast. I'm like. <laughs> Really? It's it's actually, those aren't just numbers? I know. I was saying, isn't it amazing how we're so shocked when people do what we actually want them to do? It's yeah. Like you post something, but you don't, you're, you don't expect people to like actually click on it. You're like amazed when that happens. Yeah. But yeah, so it's called Are You Willing? And you can find it on YouTube or uh, Funny or Die, but it's just about an audition. But it's basically, yeah, just like, it's more a, a bigger uh, statement about the arts and like the sacrifices you have to make. In order right. to be any sort of artist, and progressively asks yeah, if you're willing to worse. give up more and more of your life. <laughs> yeah, basically, are you willing? First, it's like, are you willing to, you know, go without internet for a day? Are you willing to, um, you know, work long hours? Are you willing to work nights? Are you willing to, you know, be without Wi-Fi? Are you willing to uh, do your own stunts? Are you? And then it's like, are you willing to miss your grandfather's funeral? Are you yeah. willing to miss all your nieces and nephews' birthdays? Are you willing? You know, <laughs> it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I'm trying so hard because it's like, you know, in an audition, you really want to, you're there to, to do a good job. So right. I keep saying, yeah, oh, I guess so. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, sure. You know, so. Yeah, my brother's, <laughs> my brother made a point that I thought resonated with me. And he's like, I think the reason you never went any farther, so far anyway, 
is because you're so unwilling to, to compromise anything. He says, yeah, yeah I'm just because, and he's right because I just like, I, I almost look at it like them trying to take away my freedoms and I do, I do everything I do on my own terms. And well, yeah, I think that's also the comedic mentality. Like, like all the comics I know are rebellious by nature. Like they just don't, they're not good with authority. They're not good with someone telling them what to do. Like they need to be the one in control of their projects, yeah. you know? And so I think it's great. Like what you do because everything you do is like your own. Yeah. And it feels so much more rewarding. You know, I mean, that was like a two minute video and I, f I feel better about that than most of the other things I've done. And it was great. And it, oh, and it spoke to me anyway. Yeah, it spoke to yeah. a lot of people, which that's like, I guess that's the ultimate goal of the arts, you know? I think I'm shocking in an audition, not purposely, but just like <laughs> that. I'm, I'm always there to try and get it. I want yeah. to do, but then they're like, are you willing to shave your beard? No. And they're just like, <laughs> No, <laughs> you should do it. You should do a spoof of my. You should do a spoof of my. Uh, my video it will be like a sequel. It'll be, it'll be like, like, are you willing to shave your beard? No. Okay, thank you. And then just wait. <laughs> that is <laughs> how it goes. That's the whole thing. I'm like, yeah. uh, there's like about ten things I'm Who not willing no to do. To that, no one would say no. That's so funny. But it probably, I mean, it makes you stand out. I'm not you know? willing to give away any liberties or freedoms. Yeah, and then I wind up with no money and no freedom. No freedom. <laughs> it's an irony. Yeah. But then later, I think it's a more of a long-term thing. Then you then you end up doing the things you're meant to do. I you're meant so. to do y your own projects. Yeah. You know? Well, this show, people really like it. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. And I just like You've gotten really great guests on it. and Yeah. And it's only on my terms. There's no set time for it. It doesn't come out at a certain time. Exactly. Some weeks it doesn't come out at all. It doesn't. It's just whenever. It's perfect. And I, I think that's like my problem. And maybe it's a good thing, but it's probably not. It's just like I'm not willing to give you a day that I'm going to be accountable for putting this out. I'm not willing to <laughs> You're do... not good with deadlines? No. That, that's okay. You're you're the boss, though. So yeah. that's fine. This is, not, this is life. It happens yeah. when it happens, and you're surprised when it does. That's, that's like it. the show that I produce that you did, the Night Late Comedy show that I do monthly. I remember complaining. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. Which I, by the way, immediately knew I was going to enjoy because the poster had light bulbs on it. Oh, my and God! I'm very connected to light bulbs. Oh my god, I love how light bulbs look in an artistic sense. Yes, <laughs> you just can't change them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, that's so funny. But uh, so one time I talked to a writer. I was like venting to a writer I had on it, and I was like, "Yeah, it's a lot of work to produce your own show. It's, you know, every time I'm like really stressed out." It's like so much work promoting it. Like there's so many things you have to think about. about it. And he's like, yeah, you know what? You know, it'd be easier. And I was like, what? And he's like, not doing a show. <laughs> and I was like, huh? Yeah. Like, I guess those are the two options. You either do it or you don't do it. Right. Like no one's forcing you to do it. That's the crazy thing about it. It's yeah. Like, you could just not do it. But that really put that that really simple statement put things into perspective because I was like, oh, we we it's our choice. Like we don't have to do anything. It's crazy. You know? you know, I I just lost a good friend of mine. Oh no. Um, you know Ralphie May, the comedian. Yeah. Who is like incredible to me. Oh, and, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I used to go and open for him on the road and oh. he was He was incredibly kind person and he was a workaholic and mm. he never like wasn't working. And and then, you know, 
few weeks ago now, he he's dead. And it just got me thinking so much. It's like he went from doing so much to nothing. Like yeah. right away. Like like and then I was thinking he could have just been doing what he's doing now alive and then maybe he'd still be alive. I think he just, I think he pushed himself too hard. Too hard. And in the moment when you're like in the in the hustle of life, you're kind of like, I have to do this. I have to do that. And, and yeah. I got to get moving on this and, and that and that and that, which is, by the way, an attitude that I assume people have that, I, that I, I'm not sure I have. But, <laughs> but, but yeah. um, sometimes I'm like that, short spurts of that. And then I'm like, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. But I think his mentality was always like, go, 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 go. And, and no time to breathe and no time to live mm-hmm. and always on the road. And then dead you know? know young dead mm-hmm. and then i just think to myself he could have spread out all that work yeah over another 50 years and done the same amount of work and, and also longer yeah enjoy like, life lived. tried to enjoy life more yeah and no one was forcing him to do that and yeah i mean it, it, it it's really painful especially because it's so fresh but it's like it's just like he, i would be like hey why don't you not not be on the road for a while, take care of your health. And like, yeah. he had the resources. I, I mean, I was always so jealous because I'm also very overweight and um, it's hard. It's very expensive, first of all, to take care of your health. And, yeah. and, um, and, and the resources that were available to him are not available to me. Like, right. I go, like, I go to a trainer once a week because that's all I can afford. But right. If I could, but I would go could, every day. Right. He could afford every day. Yeah. So like, Mm. I think I think he didn't want to take care of himself. Yeah, that's I, I've heard not people talk about him this way, but I've heard people talk about other people they've known being like, maybe some people don't really want to live a long life. You know, yeah. maybe some people want to work themselves into the ground, you know, or they or they don't want to take care of their health on purpose or things like that. I'm not saying that about him, but yeah, yeah. just like you never know what's really going on. I'll say on. it about him. I think it's true and, mm. and I think it's sad. And yeah. He was he was like a, a, a person who was now I'm gonna start eulogizing him in the Aww. middle of the podcast. But <laughs> he was a person who was so full of life and and fun and, and projected so much happiness mm. outwardly, but wasn't able Inside, to do it inwardly. Yeah. And I related to that for many years and like only in the last few years have I been like able to sort of flip it inward and and kind of be happy too but mm-hmm. it just sucks because when somebody makes you and everyone around you so happy all the time and yeah. then they're gone it's two things it's like one you wish that he could experience what he was able to give you yeah and, and then the other thing is just like it's such an absence it's such a void when like so much happiness leaves the world you know I know that's so sad. I wish I had met him. I never even met him. No, oh, yeah, but everyone, yeah, everyone seems to say the same thing, like really good things about him. That he was really generous, really sweet, kind guy. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, a lot of comics are pretty tortured on the inside. I think. Are you a tortured comic, Erica? You don't, I don't seem like. I more. I really get very depressed sometimes, and I'm good at hiding it, but I really get very bad depression. Yeah, I used to yeah. have. I used to suffer for a long time. I say used to with like my fingers crossed. Like yeah, hopefully like, it's not coming great. back. Yeah. But what what triggers your depression? Um, I think a 
lot of it is career frustration and I try to like be patient with things, but I'm so like impatient to like have some sort of big break or have things that don't, so I'm not so stressed out about money or, you know, yeah. and, and to feel like you're struggling for so long, you know, I mean, I think that would make anyone depressed. That's what was getting me down. Most yeah. Of the time. It's feeling like I should be somewhere where I'm not that right. feeling, you know, it is a hard feeling because when you, you're so positive, you should be in that place. Yeah. And, and you're just like, what's preventing this from happening? I don't understand it. You know? If, like, if I'm allowed to give advice, the, oh, only, yeah. the only advice I would give is is to um, is to uh, appreciate where you are now. Yeah, that's what that's what a lot of people tell me. But it's yeah. easy to hear, but it's hard to internalize. I but, know. But like, don't appreciate where you are career wise so much. Mm -hmm. Just appreciate where you are life wise. Life wise, which is what people say when they say be in the moment. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah. Because it's it's just self-torture otherwise. I mm -hmm. I felt that way because I have to give a shout out to whoever anonymously um trolled me and <laughs> <laughs> and, and posted up on uh on iTunes at one point saying, you know, I think this guy just wants to feel wants us all to feel bad for him. What? And I was just going through my own depression and I was sharing it on the air because yeah. I was like I want you to feel this, know what I'm in my mind, I was thinking, I want you to know what I'm going through. I want to be honest and open with the audience and, like, really, like, let you experience what I'm experiencing. Right. And then this guy goes, I think this guy just wants us to feel bad for him. And at first, I was like, he doesn't get it, you know? And then when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, what reaction do I want? Do I want them to not feel bad for me? Do yeah. I? And I'm like, no, I guess I do want them to feel bad for me. Like, cause, but, but maybe. Because that's support, right? But. But maybe you didn't want them to feel bad for you. Maybe that you wanted them to feel like if they were feeling anything like like what you were feeling, they're not alone. Like it's like it's a very human thing to share. Yes, you know, like it, it was also that. Yeah, but but being then vulnerable I, isn't you know. I don't but, think. I mean, I don't think you seem like someone who's like looking for pity or looking for right attention that way. That's how I thought of it. But, yeah. But and then I, the more I thought about it, I thought he has a good point. Like I am trying to. I am telling them something where I'm evoking something of of them that I would hope would be pity. Mm. Even if it wasn't conscious, um, it was un unconscious. Like, yeah. I, I don't want them to be like, screw this guy and, you know, in his depression. I want them to feel bad for me. Yeah. And then it's like, why do I want people to feel bad for me? I don't want people to feel bad for me. And it, something clicked and I was like, why do I want to feel bad for me? Like, <laughs> why should I feel bad? Period. Why right. should I? Yeah. Give why in to waste this? that? Why waste energy on that feeling? And then it hit me that it was like totally my decision whether mm. or not I wanted to be depressed anymore, and I yeah. just decided no. Right. And I remember like talking um, on my old show to um, Dick Cavett. Mm. Um, yeah. You know Dick Cavett. Yeah. Old time interviewer, and mm. um, I was talking to him about how he's suffered his whole life with depression and he still suffers with depression. And then he, he told me, you know, Johnny Carson suffered his whole life with depression. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking maybe I should get out now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait a minute. This is something where the most successful people are just depressed all the time. I know. And he's like, Woody Allen is always depressed. That's why he's so, such a workaholic because he, he just doesn't want to. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, so so the pinnacle of success in this is depression. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's what I have to look forward to is being depressed all the time. And then I just, it took me years from that point till I, I feel like I've shed my depression. Really? I, I feel like that. I, I mean, 
again, fingers crossed, but mm-hmm. like I don't think I'm going back. I'm like I'm I'm so happy not to be depressed and I wow. can't imagine wanting to go back to depression land, you That's know? That's great. Yeah. I mean, so. I when I'm not depressed, I definitely feel that too where I'm like I'm never going to be depressed again. Yeah. You know, and then it happens again. Because, but, because I think because you're not actively stopping it. Uh, I try pretty hard to actively stop it. Like I'll do yoga, I'll do, you know, all sorts of like, I I go to therapy. Like I work really hard on my mental health and it still happens. And it's not some like, and I take antidepressants. Yeah. (laughs) But not like a, not one that's like a, you know, hardcore one. I did that too. I tried to, you know, I went to therapy for years and I'm going back Yeah, because I feel like it's right now it I feel hurt. good, but it's yeah. like I got to keep the muscle going. That's you when know? you should go to therapies when you feel good because then you feel like you can talk and like establish a relationship with the person that you feel safe with, you know, yeah. so. The pills didn't help me at all. No, I don't really. I, and I'm not on one that's like a strong one. I'm on, yeah. you know, Wellbutrin, which is like that's really. what I was on. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like to me, it's like an extra cup of coffee. It's like <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I, I hated it. I felt oh, really? Like, yeah, I felt like tearing my skin off. Really? Yeah. To me, it was, Weird. I don't I had a bad reaction. Oh, like, yeah. It's very personal, whatever drugs you're on. Yeah. But, I yeah. Re- remember, I actually went up to Maria Bamford in, in, a, in a club, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, I'm on a new medicine. I know you have to take a lot of medicine. <laughs> Is this supposed to happen? And she's like, no. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on a lot of different things, and all of them were not good. But this is a one that's, like, to me, subtle enough that – you know, like I, I went on Zoloft at one point and that like that messed with my short term memory. Mm-hmm. So I like couldn't remember my jokes on stage. Like I couldn't do auditions. Like I was like, I'm not this isn't working for me. So, yeah, I try to be on. I don't want to be on anything. But to me, well, Butrin's like an extra cup of coffee. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm a little more awake. <laughs> I think I think also there's like this feeling I have of now, like accepting that I'll be OK. Yeah. You know, just like I think a lot of like my I need to be there now was very much self-worry. Uh-huh. And then I just decided not to worry about me anymore. I'm like, yeah, you got this, Danny. You can do right. this. You know? That's good. Yeah. Or Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we have to really go back to the self-talk. Like, should I tell myself Daniel or sh- maybe maybe Daniel, Danny's your depressed side and Daniel is your proactive self-care voice. Yeah. <laughs> That's also part of it. It's like maybe maybe I need to shed the Danny and move to towards Ooh, the Daniel. So deep. Yeah. <laughs> And then I, I got even like more into it. I was thinking like Daniel, like what is the meaning and what is the meaning of Danny? And there is no meaning oh. of Danny, really, but there is a meaning of Daniel, which is God is my judge, which oh, is in- intimidating. very intense. Yeah. But Danny has that song, Dan- oh, Danny boy, da, 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 da. Yeah. Da, 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 but the- da, 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 da. Do you know that song? <laughs> yeah, I do, the Irish one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the, the pipes are calling. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody sings that to me before I oh. even went by Danny. Yeah, see? No, 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 but it's okay. I yeah, mean, but- uh, you did a beautiful rendition. Oh, thank you. I can play it on my cello, too, if oh, you really? want. Yeah. Bust out the cello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these? I, I need to look into it. Like, who are these pipes and why are they calling? Yeah. Well, the pipes are always calling in Ireland, I feel like. Why are they calling Danny Boy so much? Didn't he die? Is that what that means? He's sad dead. Song. Well, that's horrible. Yeah, then. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this whole time people have been talking. It's like, I feel like he's a dead boy. So everybody's telling me. Or I'm just really. Singing to me like, death is calling? I think it's like, 
I mean, I could just be totally making this up. Sounds like an Irish thing. I mean, to I be feel like, like oh, Danny boy, the da 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 calling, da 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 da. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about a dead boy. write in and be like it is not about a dead boy it's like it's about like a new like it's gonna be like super positive and then the other song people used to sing when i was when i was full on daniel mm-hmm. was that elton john song daniel is uh oh i like that song that's about a blind guy oh yeah that is depressing too yeah well, why do i have to is get there a- any happy daniel song we're gonna have to write one the only song that has erica is that like um maroon five song a little bit of Erica in my life, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Of, but then it's like 500 yeah. girls. Yeah, you're you just know, one of them. Just one of a million. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I want my own song. Why didn't Bob Dylan ever sleep with an Erica? <laughs> 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 well, you're going to have to find an Erica to get. To I know, I need some yeah. rock star to write an Erica song. Yeah. I mean, it's a good Date name a rock for star. A, you need to get a rock star boyfriend i have it's not a good idea no, yeah i you, have in the past no. been there done that what, what was the problem mm, think non-committal issues yeah that's what i would guess yeah, yeah yeah writing too many songs about other women <laughs> where's the erica <laughs> yeah, song yeah where's my song <laughs> what's this margaret song all of mm. a sudden Margaret, Margaret of all the songs. Yeah, that's like that sounds like an old name. That's an unsexy name to yeah, write about. Margaret. Margaret. There's no Margaret song. <laughs> I don't think so. It's a lay lady lay. Lay across my big brass bed. I sing that to my chickens. Oh, that's so nice. Lay lady lay. You have chickens? Yeah, I have chickens in the in back. In the back? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No wonder you're not depressed. If I had chickens running in my backyard, I'd be like, I made it. It does help. They're yeah. like I see them as like um it's kind of like a fish tank, you know? Yeah. But People. do you do they do anything? They lay eggs. Yeah. Do you yeah. eat the eggs? Yeah. Really? That's yeah. so cool. I'll give you some eggs to take home with you. Oh my you. god, that's so nice. <laughs> that's really cool. Fresh eggs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When did you decide to have chickens? A long time ago in Brooklyn, I started, and then really you get hooked. It's that's so random. I always yeah. wanted a pig as a kid. <sighs> Pigs are cool. I always wanted really, a pig they're too. They're smart, you know. Potbelly pig. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted. It's a cool name too. Yeah. Pot potbelly pig. Pot and pan I begged belly. my parents for a pig. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. Begged them. Really? Hey, they gave me a turtle. Hey, turtles are cool too. It was the only animal I ever had, and then he died. I'm sorry. Yeah. Wow, that took a dark turn. His name was Shelley. Wow. Create. I was like really clever. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the best you could come up with, seven year old Erica. It's okay. Seven year old Danny had an iguana named Iggy. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> Although Iggy Pop is cool, so yeah, I didn't know you about were him. hip. Okay, <laughs> accidentally hip. hip. I can't give can't, can't give myself any credit <laughs> on that. Uh, so so you were playing the cello to go back, and then at some point you wound up in radio, right? Yeah, well, when I was ten, I started on Prairie Home Companion, so I was already doing that at before. ten. Yeah, when I was oh, ten. Wow. Yeah. How did that come about? My mom. Well, the short story is my mom had Garris asked Garrison Keeler to do a fundraiser for orchestra, and actually, it's funny there was a chicken involved because she wrote he he 
wrote some book about how a band tried to make money like by eating a live chicken. They uh-huh. like did a fundraiser to raise money for their band that was in his novel. And so my mom read the novel and wrote to him and said, will you please come help my orchestra so we don't have to resort to eating a live chicken? <laughs> and he thought that was really clever. So he came out and did the fundraiser. And then uh, they got along very well. And she was like, you know, I have a sister in New York. And she introduced them. And then they got married. Wow. So and, yeah, now he's my uncle wow i didn't know he was uncle garrison yeah that's cool but before he got married he put me on the show uh-huh. so it wasn't quite um nepotism yet yeah it was nepotism <laughs> in the making nepotism yeah it was pre-nepotism <laughs> that i got my break it's like pre-diabetes yeah <laughs> it's like you know it's coming it's like it's coming yeah but yeah so i, I did the show for a long time so yeah. what was that like at 10 years old? Were you still doing ballet? I had no, yeah, I was still, I was just into ballet. No idea what the hell the show was. I played as Conscience and, and I was so short, they gave me a box to reach the mic. And Alice and Janney, you know, she's like a really well-known actress, was was on it at the time. Mm-hmm. And she and I shared a dressing room and she taught me how to do my first vocal warm up. What was that? It was like, mama, me, mama, you know, like something <laughs> yeah. like that. Like, and, uh, and then I played his conscience where I was like, you need to call your mother. You need to read Moby Dick. And we had one rehearsal and we just did it live. And I remember I wasn't nervous. I listened to it now. My manager actually showed it to me recently, like a year ago to be like, this is what you should be like <laughs> now, you know, like, like go back to how good you were back then. Cause I was just really natural. Uh-huh. I wasn't trying at all. You know, it's like, yeah. but I was just naturally funny as like, and, and my voice sounded like I was playing out <laughs> my voice, you know? So compared to Garrison's voice, it was like, no, you need to call your mother. You need to read Moby Dick. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably the best. I mean, that was probably my best performance on the show, but then I was on the show for like, you know, till he retired. So did you tour with them or? I did a couple times. I was like a guest, so I wasn't on it. I wasn't like a regular ever, mm-hmm. but I do it a couple times a year. And then a couple times he brought me on the road with the show and I did like mini, mini tours. And also for like a couple months I wrote for the show at one point. Oh, wow. So you really were part of this family. Yeah. Yeah. I knew everybody, like everyone, all the band members knew me since I was a kid you know, the actors I grew up knowing and sure. yeah, they taught me a lot. What? I acted with Meryl Streep once on it. Oh, really? Yeah, I played her daughter. <laughs> that, that must have been fun. cool. Yeah, it was really fun. How, how did she relate to you? You were a little kid, right? No, I was 22. Oh, you were 22. At yeah. Okay. So, so how was it working with her? Was there any? It was, it was great. My only regret is I feel like I wish I got like a few pictures or, you know, it's like I was like the opposite of a suck up. I like just ignored her. <laughs> And she was really nervous because she had never done radio where like the script changes a second before the show starts. You know, Mm -hmm. like he he edits the whole script like 10 minutes before the show. And she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, my God, it changed. You know, she was like really nervous, like genuinely. But of course, she was amazing. And then afterwards, she was really nice to me. She's like, you did a great job. And she was really sweet. That's great. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I I did not. I was never able to like. Garrison Keeler because we, we were never given that option growing up. Oh. My dad would blast Garrison Keeler in the car and we didn't we didn't even want to know what I it was. I love the idea of blasting Garrison. He would blast it like it was rock. <laughs> and and we would be on these road oh and he would refuse like that's we were so kids. Funny. We wanted to hear music yeah, or something. It's so boring to a kid. It was so boring to us. We just tuned it out and and mm. we resented it because um 
he, my dad would go nuts on us. We'd be like, can we put on music now? No, I'm driving. I'm playing Garrison Keillor. And then he like, oh my God. he would blast it on full volume. There was no escaping it. And then he would blast the heat also. Oh so no. So it's just like, just like this dry. And then he would talk about money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to end picture. up like this. <laughs> Am I painting a picture of how we grew up? <laughs> Shut up! I'm listening to Garrison Killer. The hot air blowing on us. Your money is blood. <laughs> Daniel. It's like total torture. <laughs> oh we didn't. Man. We didn't know what it was about. We had so no idea. Funny. We just knew that we were gonna have to hear it. Oh my god! And uh, so funny. <laughs> we we didn't we had we just thought it was a very old man mm-hmm. and uh, just an old man and we, we <laughs> talking th- we, very slow and th- we thought it was recorded in like the 30s or oh, something. Oh yeah, and with the laughter that's, and we're that's like, so funny. This must be from when he was a yeah. kid. Yeah, there was no way we could like it. No, as kids. not when it's forced on you like that. No, no, that's so funny that like my childhood was doing it and your childhood was like trying not to hear it. Yes, <laughs> like don't make me <laughs> it's 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 impossible that i didn't hear your voice blasted i'm sure you times. heard it at some point yeah, yeah. i listened to like, I, I have listened to old ones before where i'm like oh my god that was bad <laughs> or i'm like embarrassed like, how bad i was oh you were bad yeah like as a teenager i was pretty bad i feel like like uh. i sounded self-conscious to me so how did it work? You'd get a script away from everybody else and re- go into a recording studio? No, or? it was a live performance. It was in front always. of thousands of people. It so, was always live at like huge venues. Like it, we performed at the Hollywood Bowl once, like Town Hall in New York, Tanglewood in the Berkshires, like with this huge outside. I, know I mean, it was like a yeah. rock. It was like a rock concert the way people came to it. You know, yeah, like yeah. It, he has like a huge, he had like a huge loyal fan base. That's amazing. And they would love everything. You so know? if you weren't touring with them all the time, then how were you um, on the episodes? Or you or you were only on the ones you... He would just call me, like, he, sometimes he'd call me the day before, be like, do you want to do the show? Like, he would just have mm-hmm. an idea, because he'd write the script, like, a couple days before. So sometimes he so would just... So impressive. Like, I, insanely impressive. I mean, yeah. he would write a new show every Saturday, and he was on the air for 40 years. Wow. So, I mean... It's insane. And he wrote, he writes books and he writes, you know, screenplays and he made a movie. I mean, he's, it's insane yeah. the amount of work he's done. I love the movie. I just, yeah. That's when I was able to actually, like, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, yeah. Why? And that's very much the way the show was, you know, kind of like this live show or it's like, it's stuff. like a circus almost. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. Yeah, a lot of people were like the Lindsay Lohan character they thought was based on me because when it came out, I was exactly that age and like kind of a little emo and like feeling misunderstood and everything. <laughs> Do you have so, like a cult following now from Garrison Keillor? Do people come I out? I might, but I don't, I'm not that aware of it. Like I, I did a couple of shows in uh, North Carolina recently and a, a bunch of people said they were huge Prairie Home fans. And so, like, it'll creep in at weird places where I'm like, oh, I didn't know I had fans from Prairie Home. Is it a credit you use at comedy clubs? I did in the beginning, and I kind of veered away from it because I'm, like, trying. I guess I'm, like, trying to, like, I guess when, yeah, whenever you do something as a kid, you're kind of like, okay, I've outgrown that. Like, I want to make my own, you know, I want to have my own career, and and now I use TV credits more. Right. Yeah, yeah. I have a funny Tanglewood story. Very, you do? Yes. I also went to Tanglewood for music. Oh, really? Yeah. I love Tanglewood. Yeah. So my grandparents. It's gorgeous out there. Yeah. They used to rent uh, 
a um, little cottage on a lake in the Berkshires. Oh wow! And we'd often go there, and it was it was like just wonderful. My my grandparents would always be painting the lake and like oh. you know different different spots the around the lake. One who did that painting that you, we're looking at. Yes, <laughs> you'd always have like some watercolors or some some kind of medium, sometimes oils, and mm. they'd be they'd have their easels next to each other, and they'd be painting the lake. And we'd wake up, and he'd make pancakes and stuff and oh, then we'd go on on these little rowboats in the lake so and, magical yeah and then we'd we'd go to tanglewood um all the time and uh i just remember once we were at a john williams concert and i'm and uh, my mom was probably playing because oh, you really? know she plays in the boston pops and she played under john williams no kidding yeah that's amazing <laughs> so we're at this john williams concert that's so funny and john williams says there's somebody special in the audience tonight, and without him, like, I I might not be here, and it just means so much to me that he's in the audience, and um, and I want to introduce him right now. Will you please stand up? And I watched like this spotlight travel over the crowd, and it landed on me, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, it's me. They're looking at me like, what? And I stood up. And then. (laughs) Somehow I picture the same little boy who thinks he's going to be like a huge violinist. I'm like, it's it's me. How old were you? I don't know. I must have been like 11 or something. Oh my God, it's. So cute. And then the, so the spotlight off. moves to the head right sitting in front of me. <laughs> oh my and he stands up and it's Steven Spielberg. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. This is so funny. I was sitting directly behind Steven Spielberg. <laughs> oh I didn't realize God, that's it. That's <laughs> so cute. You stood up. <laughs> Did your grandparents laugh? Oh, they were cracking up. Oh, my God. That They're like, sit so down. Cute. It's not you. <laughs> <laughs> Shows how much I thought of myself oh that my, I was like. That's like the same kid me. who thinks he's gonna be at Sock Perlman. <laughs> oh my god, that is so cute. Yeah. Oh, you you man. have to tell that story on stage. It's <laughs> so funny. Oh my god, that's it's, of course the whole the Boston you, Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, the for way me. you tell it is so cute. Like it's me. <laughs> <laughs> you picture a little kid. That's so sad. That is so sad. Thank you. And cute and adorable. Spielberg was probably like, oh. <laughs> this kid think yeah, he is. <laughs> I also make movies with, I use his me Anyway, don't worry. Oh, my God. That's so funny. All right. Uh, <laughs> I think this is a good time to transition to our philosopher. John Rawls. Oh, like with L's? Yeah. Rawls? Yeah. Have you heard of that name? No. <laughs> I'm just pretending. <laughs> oh, ra- yeah. Come on. Man, ra- I was sure I was going to get Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> it's R-A-W-L-S. So we may be saying it wrong, but he lived from February 21st, 1921 till November 24th, 2002. So mm. he died recently. Wow. He was an American moral and political philosopher in the liberal tradition. He held the James Bryant Conant University professorship at Harvard University. So your mom could have wound up uh, in his class had she Wow. Uh, and the Fulbright Fellowship at, 
and I hate reading these honors because it's like, well, let's just get to what he does. The University mm. of Oxford. And then he received other stuff, uh, pr- a prize, the sh- shock prize. We get it. He's smart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> get it. <laughs> um, yeah. So his theory of justice as fairness recommends equal basic rights, equality of opportunity, and promoting the interests of the least advantaged members of society. Boring. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't my guy at all. Let's see why Alex Alex chose him. Yeah, what's his excuse? He says because of Erica's role as the conscience of Garrison's healer. Oh, he didn't even know that would come up. Yes. Uh, because of your role as the conscience of Garrison Keillor on Prairie Home Companion, he says, I picked a moral philosopher. Ah. Oh, okay. Yes, because you're the conscience. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Do you hear your own conscience? Does it sound like the one you did for Garrison? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah? It's very direct. Yeah. What is an example of something you would say to him again? I think you said it earlier, but I... Yeah, like, you need to call your mother. You right. need to read Moby Dick. So, yes. <laughs> you lied on your income tax return. <laughs> that kind of thing, yeah. So you have that voice, too. Doing the right thing, yeah. 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 But tell me more about him, because okay. I'm still not sure why he's... So here's the synopsis distinct. on him. He says, we can... <clears throat> Sorry. He says, we can prove life is unfair with a mental exercise. Imagine you're about to be born, but don't know what circumstances you'll be born into, like a lottery. You might end up wealthy in America or poor in Afghanistan. You imagine what place would be riskiest because you know some people have privilege and others don't. We want to be born into safety, good medical care, etc., meaning we internally already know what impoverished areas need to thrive. Most just choose to ignore it. This is a clear roadmap of what we must do to help the less fortunate. We will only have a truly just society when we can do this exercise and not worry about drawing an unlucky card. So what's his what what does he believe you're supposed to do about it? Like I, he's basically saying like like I don't get what he, I don't get I still don't understand what his philosophy is. I think well we have some more of it but I okay. think from based on that I think what he's trying to say is that as long as we live in a world where you could you could be born into a quote unquote unfair circumstance, mm-hmm. we are not um, we are not uh, doing our part as people, perhaps. Well, what are we supposed to do? Is he he's not saying what we're supposed to do about it? Not in that because what, what he's anyway. saying right now, he's like life's unfair. Yeah, we know. Right? But isn't a philosophy what you do about that? Right. So I'm I'm guessing that he's going to suggest that we. <laughs> You know, try to help sp- other spread people. the wealth and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, like a Robin he's, Hood type mentality. Yeah, I guess that is a conscience. You know, that is like the yeah. the big conscience of the world. Like, we right? Sh- we should all feel terrible because <laughs> because uh, there are less for there's always less fortunate people. Right, but maybe it should at least be to the point. I'm guessing what he's saying, or what I'm saying anyway. I'm interpreting what he. What I read there is that we should create a world where at least you don't have to worry about extreme circumstances from when you're born. Mm-hmm. Like I've always, I mean, I think everybody's always. But that's thought like that, a utopian. Like, right? That's right. a utopian dream, though. I mean, it's impossible. 
Yeah. So what? That's what I'm saying is like, yeah, that's ideal. Sure. So is it, is he an idealist or what would you call him? I don't know. I guess is that what a moral philosopher is? Is someone who wants the world to be perfect? I think so. But it's not ever going to be perfect. But maybe if if they push for that, it gets a little more perfect. But like, how? He's not he's not telling you what to do about it. He's just like, yeah, the world should be better, and you're like, yeah, we know. Yeah, he might say what to do about it, but not. <laughs> in that part. I'm like, I still don't understand. I'll read you a little bit about his <laughs> life. Maybe we could understand where he's coming from based mm. on. Where he came from. I mean, I'd like to like agree with him. It's just yeah. that I don't understand what his philosophy is yet based on this. I remember having a fantasy <laughs> once that I was going to take over the entire continent of Africa and just make it livable for everybody and leave. Like as a kid. I remember, oh, that's cute. I remember like when I yeah. heard, of, heard about it on like when I get older, mm-hmm. I'm going to go around country by country and just take over, spread the wealth evenly. Make sure that everybody's getting their part from the natural resources. Yeah. Like, like I could do that. This is the same kid See? who stood up in the John Williams class. Hey, if you like, thought you could be a Sock Perlman, you thought you could also be um, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. <laughs> I had a mixture of, of very high ambitions and low self-esteem as a kid. <laughs> I was similar. Yeah. yeah. He was born in, in Baltimore, Maryland. Same as my wife. Hmm. Uh, the second of five sons of William Lee Rawls. One of the most prominent attorneys in Baltimore. Hmm. So and, he, so he was born into money and and all the resources that. Right. So I, <laughs> I bet you he. He's a he's a hypocrite, probably. Yeah. He must. Well, maybe that's what made him feel that way. Maybe. Oh, he, was he like, felt guilty about the way he was born. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I feel like you had an opposite thing with your three hundred dollars spending spree. Yeah. So right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was born into. You're like spoiled brat. <laughs> You're like this yeah. is good. Keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe he he was like I don't feel right about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anna Abel Stump Rolls was his mother. Tragedy struck Rolls at a young age. Two oh. of his brothers died in oh, childhood. Jeez. Yeah. From what? Uh, because they had contracted fatal illnesses from Ooh. him. From what? him. What? Jeez. He killed his brothers. It sounds like he did. In 1928, the seven-year-old Rolls contracted. Uh, and he didn't die from it, and they did? Yeah. Jeez, imagine the mm. guilt complex on that kid. That conscience is talking 24-7. Yeah, nonstop, <laughs> like, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to live. Why me? Dipthi- diphtheria. Diphtheria. Have yeah. you heard of it? Yeah. Um, I don't remember what it is, though. Uh, Maybe, like, a cough. It's, it's probably, like, pneumonia or, you know, like, an old school pneumonia type thing. Well, he got it in, <laughs> in 1948. Oh, wow. And his brother, Bobby, younger by 20 months, visited him in his room and uh-huh. was fatally infected. Oh, no. The next winter, Rolls contracted pneumonia. Oh, well, I guess it's Something, different. Like he's contracting them. It's always like, I got you under contract here. Yeah, it's for... like I got another contract for you. Uh, another younger brother, Tommy, caught the illness from him and died. Damn. Uh, Rawls biographer Thomas Poge calls the loss of the brothers the most important events of John's childhood. Yeah, they have yeah, to be. Yeah, because he, now he's guilty for the rest of his life. Like, what else could be the most important? Uh, like, when he got great sneakers? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. When he got into Harvard, like, no, the way he got into Harvard was having a huge guilt complex. Like, he needed to make up for two kids who got killed by him. Yeah. Damn. That's, wow. that's oh, got to have haunted him for his entire terrible. life. Terrible, yeah. I still feel bad about, like, 
arguments and fights I had with my brothers when I was a kid. Like, yeah. Jeez. And not even one but two. Like, he must mm. have felt like a cursed person. Yeah. That's sad. That's really sad. How old was he again? Um, He was seven. Oh, jeez. And then, yeah, that's pretty, like, shocking. Oh, that's sad. Must really sad. He felt like a little devil child. Yeah. Because he lived through both of those wow. diseases. Yeah, bumping off huge guilt complex for his whole life. Yeah. He attended Calvert School in Baltimore for six years before transferring to the Kent School. An Episcopalian. I was raised Episcopalian. What does it mean? It's like, like, I think it's a form of uh, Protestant. It's like more relaxed version of Protestant. So what does that mean? Christian. (laughs) There's like a million names. All, I know. It's like, it's not Catholic, but it's like close to Catholic, but not as strict. For Jews, we have no idea what's yeah, going on so there. Yeah, there's so many different, yeah, forms of being Christian. But yeah. I was raised Episcopalian, like went to church and stuff. Were your parents religious people? My mom was. My dad's an atheist. Mm-hmm. My dad's an atheist Jew and my mom's an Episcopalian. So did you? where did you wind up with that? goes to Bible school. <laughs> Or not Bible. She goes to like Bible club or something. Um, I'm sort of in the middle. Like I once in a while go to church. I have my own weird belief system. What is it? Like I kind of believe in a God. I just like can't quite explain it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my own weird thing. Do you pray? Do you- Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Cool. I have my own weird. It's like definitely like not strict. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of not tangible. Like I can't quite. But you're like whenever somebody asks, yeah, some, yeah, I definitely have like a spiritual side to me. Like yeah. I definitely feel like a belief that certain things happen, and somehow, like as a kid, I always felt like someone was sort of looking out for my well-being. Like yeah. some, you know, some other being that wasn't here was like making sure I was okay. Like I had that sense as a kid. Was your dad always atheist, or mm-hmm. yeah? I know I was trying to write a joke that's like really really dark that's like i have two parents one believes in god and one doesn't one's in a wheelchair and one's not right. who am i gonna go with <laughs> but, but, but that's where my, my mind was going to the fact like look a lot of people get sick and then they become uh either believers or not believers like yeah my dad just was never yeah he's just like a very pragmatic very grounded person and my mom's a lot more of like a romantic and like yeah you know more of like sort of a flighty person i think that's a lot of what lends itself to the fact that i'm like such a believer it's just oh that are I'm, you yeah i'm like a I think it's just it's more imaginative and fun. Yeah, you know? in it's a like, way, it's like if you have the choice, it's kind of like why not? Like it can't hurt. Yeah, you know, it can't hurt to like have a belief that like there's something else there. And, you know, and like I don't like when people say I can't like imagine that. You know, well, that's the whole like, point of what it is. Yeah. Then be agnostic or whatever. Right. Right. Don't just say it doesn't like nothing's there because pretty much everybody. Like pretty much so much, enough people know there's something else out there yeah, uh, or whatever it is. But enough people have some sort of spiritual belief system that we're part of something bigger than whatever this material world is Yeah, that I think like it's hard to like completely deny it. So let's go back to John Rawls. Mm -hmm. A little more about him. He served in the military during World War II. He was an infantryman in the Pacific where he toured. New Guinea and was, I always think it's funny, by the way, when they talk about touring in terms of the army. 
Yeah, you're like, oh, did you do stand up or <laughs> or just like as a tourist? Like, yeah. Oh, that's that must have been lovely. You toured Touring. Japan and Germany. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, and he was awarded a Bronze Star, which is not in a brain. Well, come on. All right, third. He came in third. <laughs> it's a Bronze Star. My philosopher came in third. <laughs> and in the Philippines, he endured intensive trench warfare and witnessed horrific scenes, such as seeing Ooh. a soldier. Remove his helmet and take a bullet to the head Ugh. rather than continue in the war. There he lost his Christian faith. Hmm. Following the surrender of Japan, Rawls became part of. But you got to hand it to him for hanging on to that faith after killing yeah, two brothers. Exactly. You know? Following the war in Japan, he became part of the General MacArthur's occupying army and was promoted to sergeant. But he became disillusioned with the military when he saw the aftermath of the atomic blast in Hiroshima. Disenchanted, he left the military in January of 1946. After his military service, Rawls became an atheist. And, Aww, and sad. I'm going to skip down to later in life, later, the later life. Uh, he really seems like a quitter, this yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like third place, doesn't pay attention. It's like, eh, I'm not going to be religious anymore. Eh, I'm not going to be in the army anymore. Yeah, let's like really root for the underdog. Yeah. Because I'm such a loser. <laughs> what a harsh. <laughs> I sound so evil. <laughs> oh, no, he sounds like a great guy. Keep yeah. going. Keep going. I just don't like that he's American. I wish I got like a cool like Russian. You, wanted, you know, I wanted like you a wanted more a French. Yeah, I wanted lot. some like really dramatic, yeah. you know, like Nietzsche or like a Russian guy or someone yeah. who is like, you know. More intense, like not a guy right. from Baltimore. Like I don't. That's not like <laughs> Baltimore who, is pretty intense. I don't though, align yeah. myself, with, yeah, with like yeah. an American philosopher. Yeah, I'm just like I wanted a more fun, like some European fancy. Yeah, I wanted. Yeah, yeah, I wanted someone with a weird name. Yeah. All right. So here's later in life for Rawls. Rawls seldom gave interviews, and having both a stutter and a bat-like horror oh of the limelight. Oh my god, this guy is just like. <laughs> It just gets worse. <laughs> okay, keep going. Did not become a public intellectual despite his fame. Oh, he instead geez. remained committed mainly to his academic and family life. In 1995, he suffered the first of several strokes, severely oh. impeding his ability to continue his work. Hmm. He was nevertheless able to complete a book titled The Law of Peoples, the most complete statement of his views on international justice. And shortly before his death in November of 2002, published Justice as Fairness, a restatement, a response to criticisms of a theory of justice. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a schlubby philosopher. Well, I just, I didn't see anything in that description that's like, ooh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, everything's kind of like, oh, that's sad. Yeah. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. Oh, depressing. Yeah. But like, what did he actually like believe in? I still don't even get that. I'm not know? sure. Maybe we'll find out okay. from, from this paragraph. Okay. Am I reading it? Yes. Justice is the first virtue of social institutions as truth is of systems of thought. All right. That is intense. Let's, yeah. Let's try and unpack that. Justice is the first virtue of social institutions okay. as truth is of systems. So justice is to institutions as truth is to thought. That's what he's saying. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, that, d duh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like justice, like moral ethics or whatever, right? Sure. Should I keep going? Yeah. 
Each person possesses. I'm like, no, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we get it. Yeah, we got it. Each person possesses an inviolability founded on justice does not allow that the sacrifices imposed on a few are outweighed by the larger sum of advantages enjoyed by many. Okay, I found inviolability. Okay, what does it mean? Prohibiting violation, secure from destruction, violence, infringement, or um, desecration. Okay, so each person possesses an inviolability founded on justice. So it's like each person's protected by justice. Okay. Justice does not allow that the sacrifices imposed on a few are outweighed by the larger sum of advantages enjoyed by many. Yeah. So basically, like, the whole... He's saying like the whole should sacrifice more for the, for the. Yeah, it sounds like Bernie Sanders. The few should sacrifice more for the whole. Yeah, yeah. Truth and justice are uncompromising. We know what that means. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is not unjust that persons are born into society at some particular position. So that's saying it's like it is not unjust that persons are born into society at some particular position. Isn't it unjust though? Didn't he say? Oh, oh, I guess it's like it's not it's not their fault, right? That's I, what it's saying. I think it's not it, it's one. not it is not unjust that persons are born into society at some particular position. So mm. I think it's like it's not their fault. Yeah. These are natural facts. Yes, yes. What like is just said. and unjust is the way institutions deal with these facts. So basically saying, like, do the right thing, institution. Like, mm-hmm. um, So he's institution shaming once again. No, I think he's saying, like, in, well, I don't know if he's insti- – I don't know if he's shaming them. I think he's just saying he's they're, do- they should be doing the right – like, institutions are there to help out the needy or whatever. Right, but they're not doing the right thing, I think he's saying, right? He's like not they, saying that. He's, he's not, just saying oh. what, they're, what they should okay. be doing. I don't okay. think he's – He's not implying that they're doing the wrong thing. He's just saying what they're there to do, I think. Okay. All right. Should I say the quotes? Um, Are we still talking about it? Well, let's just talk about it for another minute. It just seems so vague to me. You know, it's like, yeah, so he thinks that institutions should look out for the people who are in need. Mm -hmm. But, like, what is new about this? Like, what is so... What's unique? Yeah, what's unique? Why does it... Why is he... On the map. That's what I'm not getting. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like he's stating the obvious. Like, he's like, good is good. Yeah. Bad is bad. Yeah. Just is just. Truth is truth. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, that's what it sounds like. I'm yeah. like, I don't understand what he's What's telling spe- you special. to do. Yeah. Or like, what it, like, I feel like a philosophy is just a philosophy, but like, if there's no action attached to it, like, he's not saying, therefore, the institutions should do the blah, 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 like, exactly what they should do. Let's see if we can reach Alex. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Has this ever happened? Where the, Once before. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where a comic's like, I don't get it? Yeah. Oh, there's been many where we don't get it, but there's mm. only been once where we called Alex because I'm not getting like it at all. Of, like, I don't. Yeah, I just don't get why. He's important, you know, like. Let's see if we can okay. get him. Hello? Hey, Alex, you're on speaker with myself and Erica Rhodes. Oh, hi. Hey. Hey. We're having What's a up? bit of difficulty with the philosophers, <laughs> so we thought we'd give you a call. Okay. All right. <laughs> you want to you take it from here for a second? Yeah, well, like we, we, just don't, this we just don't understand, like, what makes him special. You know, because right now it seems very obvious what 
his philosophy is like it's like a very like it's ba- he's basically like justice is justice truth is truth the good is the good it's like wh- well what do you what do you what, what's your actual belief system you know from others is that he made up that thought experiment of the uh, imagine yourself like drawing a lottery card from it. So the, the reason why good is good and justice is justice is just those. Those are just good things. But he's saying we need to examine what we think. Like if we think that, uh, oh, life is pretty fair across the board, and then we do that mental experiment, we go, oh, we're all too painfully aware that it's not fair. We're just choosing to ignore it. Everyone knows the trope of, oh, life isn't fair. But the problem is a lot of people choose to ignore who it's unfair for. Because I think this is especially relevant given all the stuff that's going on in the news all the time where a lot of people have complete blinders on to how certain people don't have the advantages that they have. But this thought experiment is designed to show that internally we all know exactly who would need our help and how they would need our help. It's just we have these, we, we don't think about it, either because we don't want to or it's just too much for us to bear or, or just haven't stopped to, to do that kind of a mental exercise yet. But he's trying to say that it's all in there if we just take a second to look at it within ourselves who we need to help, what we need to do, and how we need to appreciate what we already have if we're born in a position of uh, privilege. Right. Right. So he's saying, yeah. he. so his whole thing is like coming up with just the visual component to it? Because uh, to me, I just, I still don't see what he expects people to do about it. Like I get like, does he just want us to feel guilty? Does he want us to like, because he talks no. a lot about institutions. So like what institutions is he referring to? You know, like it's so vague. Uh, there, was the, there was the part I wrote in the synopsis where it said, when you imagine where you'd like to be born, what do you imagine? I want to be somewhere that's safe. I want somewhere with medical care and clean water and good schools and food and a roof over my head. So what he's saying is it's not vague. It's all too specific because if you start going through your head of what would I want to be making sure that I have going into life, what the what advantages I would want to have. So we're talking about exactly rights. The places in the world that don't have that, and it's your duty to try to help to steer things in that direction. Whatever power you have to do that is another question, but... So we're talking about God-given human rights, right? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if he brings God into it, but just in terms of, like, everyone deserves to be treated like a human being and have the same advantage. He's, like he said, justice won't be real until you wouldn't be worried about where on earth and in what circumstances you would be born into. But it so, just, it, yeah. to me, it just sounds very utopian. You know, it sounds very, like, that sort of idealist, like, like everything should be equal. We should all, you know, like like Pete, Pete, uh, what's it was Robin Hood, um, you know, like the whole yeah. like. But 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 at the same time, it's like he talks about institutions, but it's like he's not like saying specifically what institutions or like what How they're falling. You short. know, like what yeah. we're supposed to do as individuals to make things better. Like it just doesn't seem like he has the actions. He has the like, yeah, you should feel bad, but then what? Yeah, yeah, but you know, if if you internally can picture, okay. 
uh, third world countries need to have better schools, you can Google how to help make that happen. Like the roadmap, you have to find it a little bit yourself, but he's just saying that you can soul search and go, okay, where do resources really need to be? Because I clearly have everything I want. But how do you feel about the fact that he won the bronze medal? <laughs> Do you think it should be on his bio forever? Like, I came in third place once. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. That was really helpful, though. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Pasella. Do you think he was offended by that? No. Okay. I think he, was, he seemed very serious. Oh yeah, I think he was probably at a club, um, oh, okay. waiting to go on stage, and oh, okay. ran, ran outside to take. The I was call. like, he sounded really like like protective yeah. of the philosopher. Yeah. Yeah. And we were both saying the same thing. Like, yeah, we know life's not fair, but like, how are you? What are you supposed to do? And he's like, Google, Google. <laughs> Philosopher said, "Like Google, like instant justice is fairness. Google it." <laughs> I think he had a spot tonight in Brooklyn, and we probably caught him <laughs> when he was like, "He's like, man, just accept it. Figure out this philosopher, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's fair as fair." Like I, just want, yeah. I just want to know if I can like trade in the philosopher for someone who says like something more, you know, dramatic. Like uh, we're all dancing specks of dust. You wanted more you know, romance. Like, to yeah, it. I wanted a yeah. little romantic. Yeah, he seems a little bit too like straight, straight and narrow. I feel like we're going like, to be disappointed. Good is good in these quotes, but we may as okay. well see. Okay, here are may the quotes. Maybe there's a good one in there. I feel really bad that I'm like giving it a hard time. No, I think but, it's great. Okay. I mean, if you were just like being complacent about yeah, it, that would I'm mean like that would mean uh, let me just get through this and get out of here. Yeah, no, I just kind of wanted to know like if there was something that set him apart. Yeah, you know, I think and you made like, a good good point of it and like yeah yeah because it's like i don't know it's very easy like i could write a paper being like yeah things should be better <laughs> like the world should be a better place i almost feel like it's unfair that he's getting credit yeah. for saying that it's unfair like he's going down in history for being like life's not fair it's like yeah it's like, <laughs> we all <laughs> we know how many hours of depression have you struggled with because of life being unfair and you don't have an award for that not even bronze yeah Exactly. I've been saying like, yeah, I've been <laughs> complaining about life not being fair for a long time. I wanted to be born to royalty. I wasn't. That's how I pictured my life turning out. Well, at least you got the $300. At least I was speech. born in Newton. I was pretty <laughs> lucky. Okay. I'm not complaining. Um, okay. Quotes. The principles of justice are chosen behind a veil of our ignorance. Well, that's actually a good quote because that means we can't because we're ignorant we can't we don't really know what justice is mm -hmm. right yeah liberty is a certain pattern of social forms huh let me think about that liberty mm -hmm. is a certain pattern of social forms i really feel like this guy's like a hack like, <laughs> like he's like if he was a comic he would be like get up like he would be saying like old school jokes. You'd be like, yeah, we've heard that before. <laughs> you think we're studying any young? Men? I feel like yeah, liberty is a certain pattern of social forms. Like, what mm -hmm. does that mean? I mean, that's just like a vague. Well, when you talk about people's liberty, mm -hmm. like I think that you know he's talking about human rights, human liberties, and it's just a pattern of social things. So you think, oh, 
you're entitled to certain liberties, but it's just basically whatever society is dictating at the there, time. There's a funny, I don't know why I keep talking about BoJack Horseman, I think, because I watched it last night. Uh-huh. Um, but there was like a funny part in it where he was saying like, they were saying something like, well, society makes us think that. And he's like, oh, great, it's society? Then I, I, it's not my fault. It's <laughs> society. Society did this to me. It's yeah. society. Yeah. And I feel like that's what it's saying. It's like, it's social forms that, you know, cause all this. Yeah. It's not our fault. Shifting the blame. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit. All right. Our most serious conflicts are conflicts within ourselves. That I can get behind. Mm-hmm. See, that one I can, that one's a little more specific. Like, yeah. conflicts are conflicts within ourselves. Like, trying to figure out who this philosopher is. Like that's very, that's an internal battle for me. Yeah. So that makes sense. And even what we were talking about before with depression, mm-hmm. um, uh, the conflict within yourself, like once you resolve it, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the yeah, biggest then you relief. Can, then you can see the world with new eyes if yeah. you're, if you deal with your own issues. You see the world with the eyes of the child, the, the young child who is uninhibited on the crate with the microphone. Yeah. Like your the manager, one, the one who was compared to. to this philosopher. <laughs> well, I guess it's not a comparison. It's more like he picks someone who's based on part of your life or something. Mm-hmm. He's he's the conscience of society. He's yeah. like, we need to do better. Which I, I mean, I always think we could do better. You know, like yeah. if he even said something like that, would be more specific than these. Like judgment is judgment. Blah blah. <laughs> like I wish he would just say something like, we could do better. <laughs> You know, like just something I could get behind. Like we could, we're not doing our part or like we could do better or like go above and beyond what you think is right. That, you know, like something yeah, like that. That's, All, a, that's a call to action. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm, I'm having issues with. I'm having issues with, I don't like when, when people just talk about mm-hmm. how things should be without telling you what they expect you to do about it. And also I feel like his whole philosophy should be really more about like why did I kill my brother like, why did they die yeah. yeah is this all just like yeah this is all just distraction yes. from the fact that you killed your brothers and you feel guilty about it yeah and you're like and then you watch that friend of yours pull his helmet off and take a bullet to his own head yeah and now like you know I mean, his life and he has a stutter on top of it all yeah did he ever get married I wonder if he ever had a, like a family life you know it's not in the notes if it's not in the notes it never happened yeah. It might have happened. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I get what he's trying to say. And, like, maybe mm-hmm. at, you know, but he, he's also a modern-day philosopher, so I really just wish that he was saying it in a more... Modern way. Yeah. Like, he's saying it in this, like, kind of, like, vague, like... It's that intellectual kind of self-important Yeah. Talk, you know? Yeah, it's a little bit, like... It's 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 a it's a way of, and this is like one of the things I try to break down on the show is I feel like some some of these philosophies are written to separate themselves, like the intellectually, it's like this is just for into, and I feel like these thoughts are universal thoughts, and once yeah, once you break it down, it's like the same thing somebody who's working as a greeter at Walmart is thinking. Right. You know? I mean, you've been doing this for a while. Like, have you? Do you feel? Like other philosophers are this vague, or is this one of the more vague ones? No, this is probably one of the more vague ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because like other phil- like when I have read when when I did take that one philosophy class, it's like I feel like they get pretty deep into like very specific things, like and they paint a picture of what like if they do think if they do believe in a utopian society, they would describe 
what that society would look like. And or, maybe he does. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We only have a little snippet of his work to go off, but this yeah. snippet does feel a little unsatisfying. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think this guy really made his mark because we've never really heard of him. Right. You know? It's a symptom of like Baltimore. Like my wife always says, you got to leave Baltimore. <laughs> you got to get out of Baltimore. Yeah. Well, he did get out, but then did he go back? I think he went I back. I think he went back. Shouldn't have gone back. He messed up. Yeah. But um, but it was interesting to learn about. Yeah. Thanks for doing it with yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for dealing with my... <laughs> <laughs> I, my honestly, attitude <laughs> I enjoyed it I like the attitude <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show I did this was really fun <laughs> thanks so much for having me thanks for doing it alright again everybody thank you so much for tuning in thank you to Erica Rhodes thank you to my sponsor Stand Up Stand Up Records the brand you know the brand you love the brand that has Two albums from me and a vinyl available. And they've got so much more. Go and check out StandUpRecords.com once again. StandUpRecords.com, FairEnoughComic.com. The comic is launching March 1st, and I couldn't be more excited. But if I, maybe I could. I just haven't experienced that yet in my life. So that'll be fun. If you're in L.A., I'm doing a big show, a big show at the Comedy Store on February 8th. At I think it's at 8:30 p.m. It's called Comedy Rocks. Check it out on their website. And Mark Marin is on it, and Tom Arnold is on it. It's a Steve O is on it. It looks like a really good show, and I'm excited to be on it as well. I'm also going to be in New York later in the month, but I don't I don't have the dates in front of me, and uh, I don't even have the dates finalized for what I'm doing. So I'll, I'll be there though. So if you're in New York, you want to get a cup of coffee, let me know. All right. That's it. I don't even know why I brought up New York. I should have had more information for you, but what can I do? Uh, oh, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be in New York doing the Gilbert Godfrey podcast and the Howard Stern wrap-up show. So that's, you know, you can listen to me on those things. That's exciting. All right. That's it. I, I'm bragging now. I feel like I'm bragging. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you. I'm I'm excited. I'm having, things are going well for me. You know, thank God. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place, everybody. Okay. So, there you have it. Please, if you could be so kind from the bottom of your heart, go on iTunes and leave a nice nice comment and a five-star review, because it always goes a long way. It really does. It helps, and we need them. We need them. I need them. Feed my ego. No, just help the show. It does. It boosts the show. It's iTunes. All right. I'm rambling on. It's late at night. I got to go to bed. All right. I'll see you next time with the season finale. That's right. Next episode is the season finale. Uh, of the, of this season of modern day philosophers. I'm in a great mood. Have a good night, everybody. So long. See you next time. <laughs>